0: The sermon text this evening comes from the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's on page 959 of the Bible in the on the table and in the chairs. I'm going to be focusing on verses 12 through 26, but I am going to read the entire chapter to give us the context. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one could say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and every one. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. And God is apportioned in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. One of the great tragedies, in my humble opinion of our uh, modern culture and modern day America is that we seem to lack community. I, this problem really came home to me in a conversation uh, that I had. I guess you could say it was sort of a public conversation. The the past year, the year of 2022 and and part of 2021, I was a teacher. I was a public school uh, teacher, but in an online environment. It was a charter school. And it came very clear to me that people... Because they lack community, particularly on an online environment, they also don't know how to deal with suffering. So, for example, one of our coworkers, who I had never met, but it was an online environment, uh, told the entire the entire teacher uh, faculty, which were, was about forty to fifty or sixty people online, that she had just been diagnosed with cancer, and. Uh, excuse me actually it was a reoccurrence of cancer and to, it was in a, on a chat it was on a chat and uh, the responses of the people uh, of fellow teachers were really sad to, uh, to read it was things like sending good vibrations your way thinking good thoughts um, you know uh, sorry to hear it short message you know And, of course, I sent a message saying that my my family and I would commit to praying for her, although I didn't know her personally. But I think it it illustrates that modern-day people often don't know how to handle suffering because they don't have community. And I I think that this is a great text on community. Now, I'm going to, to... to show you that there's some... I don't want us to be distracted by a few things. I want us, I want us to focus mainly on verses 12 through 26. But the point uh, that I want us to, to really dwell on is that church is a place, a community, where we share life together. But there are three things that we share uh, here in this passage. There are three things that we share together as a body. And the first thing that we share is that we share the Spirit. We share the Holy Spirit. And the irony of this passage is that Paul wrote uh, this passage, this particular text, to answer certain, uh, a particular question that the Corinthian community had. Uh, they, they had a question about spiritual gifts, and it was meant to be... Uh, to bring people together. The point is the oneness, the unity. But the irony is that this passage has caused great division in the church because we are divided about gifts, about spiritual gifts. And so the irony is that the the very letter and the very part of the letter that is supposed to bring us together, and it's about oneness, has actually caused division within the church. In verse 1, where it says, now concerning spiritual gifts, uh, this is evidence that Paul has, was addressing a particular question they had. In chapter 7, he says in verse 1, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, so marriage and sexuality. Uh, chapter 7, verse 25, is now concerning the betrothed. Chapter 8, verse 1, is now concerning food offered to idols. Uh, chapter 16 is now concerning the collection for the saints. And chapter 16, verse 12, is now concerning our brother Apollos. And so uh, here, he is addressing spiritual gifts. And it's not the part of the passage that I wish for us to focus on. However, I do want us to see the overall point that we share the Spirit. We share the Spirit. And uh, there's a great distraction uh, here from, from where we're headed, but I'm going to address the distraction very quickly, and uh, it might cause some of you to disagree with me, but that's fine. Uh, Paul lists nine different gifts, and I'm thinking particularly in verses 8 through 10, where he starts, for one is given through the Spirit, and he gives a list, and for various reasons, which I will explain a little bit of, I think that this list is a list of gifts given in the first century to the early church. Uh, it, it was given in the last days of the old covenant, exceptional gifts and in the early days of the new covenant to establish his church and I guess I would like to have you look at a few a couple of different uh, passages to, to illustrate that. But before we do, let me just say this. If you're part of the Sunday school class, I know that there are many young people here tonight, and I think many of you are part of the Sunday school class that, that I've had the honor of teaching. And in the very beginning, we make a distinction between general revelation and special revelation. And typical, general revelation is what we see in, in the world Typically, we say that many people think special revelation is the Bible, and that's true. But special revelation is actually broader than that in this way. Uh, Throughout the history of redemption, God has revealed himself in not only saving deeds, but also saving words. So when Moses was called to bring God's people out of Egypt... uh, he was given certain miraculous... He was allowed to do certain miracles uh, as a testimony that he was God's spokesman. And when the Israelites were brought out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and they, the Lord parted the Red Sea, and when they were brought out of Egypt, Moses later goes on to write the interpretation of those saving deeds, those miraculous miracles and wonders that were done. And we call that the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. So when God performs saving deeds, he also then interprets those saving deeds through his word. And that word is his special revelation. So let me give you uh, two examples Texts. First Hebrews chapter one. If you want to flip to Hebrews chapter one, and as you're flipping there, just uh, hear me as I say this: the great saving deed that God has done is through the sending of His Son, accomplishing our redemption once for all. The great saving act, His revelation of His Son, and was accomplished in this unique moment in the history of redemption. Then God raised up his apostles as God's spokesmen to interpret what he had done in sending his son. So here's what Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 say. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son by whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom he also created the world. Flip over to, or actually stay there, to Hebrews 2. Uh, Hebrews 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape? If we neglect such a great salvation, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to, by, to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. God bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. One last um, text. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it. In John chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus says that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. So you can flip back with me to our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. in our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And you can see in verse three, it says, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So here's what I'm getting at. What is the spirit's work today? You're not to read that list, the list that I I mentioned in verses eight through 10 and say, well, why don't I have these gifts? The purpose of the spirit is to a guide. It's a guide, a guide into all truth. Uh, that's, that's the way that Jesus himself uh, spoke of the Spirit. He will guide you into all truth. He called him the Spirit of truth. And so what exactly does the Spirit do? There is no greater gift of the Spirit than for him to give someone the faith in Christ to say that Jesus is Lord. There is no greater gift of the spirit than that he would lead you to know who Jesus is and what he has done so that you would bear a profession of faith. He works true faith in the heart of the believer. That's the point of the spirit. So we share the spirit. That is a long one long explanation to get to the main point which I want to talk about is the second thing we share. We share the spirit but uh, starting in verse 12 and going on, we share a body. That is, we share each other. It's the second thing we share. We depend upon each other. That's the assumption of sharing a body, is that there's interdependence. Now, in some measure, we're, we all know we're dependent on God. Uh, if you're a child, you're a baby, you are born into this world, you're dependent immediately on someone, someone to feed you, someone to change you, uh, someone to dress you, we're dependent. Or marriage, we, we had a wonderful sermon this morning about marriage, and marriage is interdependence, right? Right? A man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. I find that very interesting that in leaving his father and mother and being united to his wife, there's no, the Bible doesn't talk about a middle period of independence. <laughs> um, now, it may be the case that someone is single, maybe single your entire life, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we're never, depend, we're never completely independent. Even if you are single, you're still a part of the church. We, are, we depend upon one another. That's part of what it means to be a body, is that we belong to one another. So in verses 12 and 13, when it says that all members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ, in verse 13, we're, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or slaves free. That means we are are made up of very different kinds of members, very different kinds of people. But we are nonetheless one. Slaves, free, Jews, Greeks. And there's unity in the diversity that we, we have. Different ages, different gifts, male and female, rich and poor, young and old, and yet we're one. We're, inter- we're interdependent. Do we depend upon each other? And there's a diversity of functions. So verses 14 through 19 talk about the different functions that we have. An eye, the function of an eye is different than the function of an ear. The function of a hand is different than the function of a foot. And so there's no useless member of the body. We all belong together. None of us are dispensable. So in verse, I know I'm skipping around, but in verse 21 says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So there's no useless member of the body. We are greatly diverse and yet we are unified in Christ. We are one body and we are dependent upon each other. I guess I'll use this illustration because we have a, a number of wonderful young people here tonight but one of the books I, I had to read when I was in college was Confessions by Augustine, St. Augustine and there's a part in Confessions where he's recounting his, his boyhood and he mentions that he went out with some of his boyfriends some friends who were boys and they stole, they stole a pear. Oh, okay, I'm getting corrected. He, he stole a pear. He stole pears. Uh, and he writes about that in, in his confession. Says, why did I do that? He knew it was wrong, and he wanted to do it. And I think the point of this illustration where I'm trying to get at is, when we're young, and maybe even when we're old, but when we're young, particularly, there's peer pressure. We want to belong to a community, right? It's much easier to do something wrong in the presence of other people who approve of us doing it wrong than doing something wrong in the presence of people who disapprove. And we can easily so long to be a part of a community that we would do something which we know is wrong in order to belong. But in this community, it's a community that Christ is the center of it. And uh, a community which we are guided by the Spirit, speaking through the Word of God, He is to be our guide. That's what we share. We share the Spirit. We share the Scripture. We share each other. And that means that every part is worthy of honor. We're not to exclude people. So in verse 22 through 23, um, the parts of the body, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker Are indispensable. And those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. So every part is worthy of honor. And I think um, particularly in a in a church where well I think particularly it can be problematic for people to think, I'm not needed. They can sometimes, they may think, I'm not needed here. I'm not wanted here. What am I doing here? How am I serving here? And it can be easy to think that you're inferior. But that's not what we have here in the passage. In the passage, every part is worthy of honor. There is no one who is inferior. In addition to that, it's also a check on, on people like me <laughs> who might be tempted to think well I'm I'm definitely needed here because I'm I'm up here and I'm preaching right it can be a, it can be a temptation and the point is that we're a body we're a body we are independent and so if there's fruit it's not look what I have done or look what you have done it's look what God has done he is the head Here's what John Calvin says about this passage. Uh, Let not the man who's endowed with superior gifts be puffed up with pride and despise others. Even the least among the pious brings forth fruit according to his slender capacity, so there's no useless member of the church. Let there be mutual affection, mutual fellow feeling, mutual concern. Let us have a regard to the common advantage in order that we may not destroy the church by envy or pride or any disagreement but on the contrary every one of us strive to the utmost of his power to preserve it so here's john calvin saying the least pious brings forth fruit so even even the young young christian brings forth fruit fruit that is to be shared with All of us. You're needed. And there's no useless member in the church. And I think the great picture of this, the great picture of interdependence that we have, really is found in Acts chapter 2, which I'll quote very quickly. In verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles'. I think that's the picture, really, of the body working together, interdependently, belonging to one another, being devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So, the first thing we share is the spirit. The second thing we share is the body, each other. And the final thing that we share is Christ, the head of the body. In verse 27, uh, verse 27 says, now you are the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ. Christ is the head of this body. Now, I'm, I'm going to uh, come back to Christ in one minute, but I want you to focus on 25 and 26. <laughs> Verse 26 says, if one member, or excuse me, verse 25 says, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, they all suffer together. Now that word, uh, the two words in English, suffer together, is actually one word in the text of uh, the Greek, and it means to assume your share of suffering to take part in the share, the corporate share of suffering. Paul uses it in 2 Timothy 2 when he says to Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews uses that that same word when in Hebrews 11, he says that by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated With the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So, that word, suffer together, is the same word that is used to describe Moses being mistreated with the people of God, saying no to sin and yes to following Christ. That is to be our attitude. We are to suffer together. That is, of course, what Christ said that we should do. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. But more than that, more than that, that suffering is what Christ himself did. Christ came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And the head of this body was dishonored. At the head of this body, the one who was the strongest, he made himself a high priest who could sympathize with our weakness. That's what the head of this body did. Even though he was the head, even though he had all of the honor and praise, infinite honor, infinite praise. And yet he willingly condescended to go to the cross, to be dishonored for our sake. That's the kind of self-sacrificial love that the head of our body has. So my prayer would be that we demonstrate that kind of love, that self-sacrificial love, that the head of our body exhibited himself. That you would share in whatever, you, you would share in the fruits, and you would also share in the suffering, and that you would, you would mirror Christ our Savior, who is our head, And that our body would not only share the spirit, but we would share the self-sacrificial love of Christ. So is Christ your head? Is he the head of your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, almighty God, We thank you that you have given us a Lord, a head who willingly condescended to be with us even though we were sinful. Uh, we thank you and praise you for what he has done for us in living a perfect life and dying a substitutionary death upon the cross. We pray that you might make us a community of people who love self-sacrificially. We pray that we would be a community that seeks to be guided by your spirit who speaks through the word of God. We pray that we would share in fellowship with one another to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And that through the breaking of bread and the fellowship of the saints in prayer that you would conform us to the image of Christ, our head. We pray this all in Jesus' name.